Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. The lobby culture, best way to describe that, would be a dynamic, multifunctional space with community at its core. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. And today I'm joined by Ian Miner. Hi, Ian. How are you doing, Jerry? Nice to meet you. Yep, nice to meet you too. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, there's a really intriguing part of your business journey that I want to discuss, right, which is to do with working with Ennis Moore and the Working From brand. But it's always good to set some context, right? So maybe you could just talk us through the process you got to before that got instigated, and then we'll dive into the deep stuff about how yeah. you actually got involved and what that meant. All right, happy to do that. So I, I joined Ennismore, it would have been 2018, but going back before then, 2015 is when I kind of had a shift in what I was doing career-wise. So my whole background has been hospitality. Um, it's been um, members clubs, private members clubs, um, along the same kind of lines as a Soho house, that kind of style. Yep. Um, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, hotels, health and fitness, all this kind of um, operations was, was I, I was currently working in that period of time. In 2015, I joined a company called Neuer House, which is yep. N-E-U-E House, based out of America, New York, and just at the same time developing in Los Angeles, they were developing, or they already had since 2013 in New York, their first location, a um, collaborative workspace and members club. That's how they would term what they were. Collaborative workspace, basically co-working, but all pushed onto membership, monthly membership payment options. You could have dedicated desks, you could have an office, or you could simply have um, a kind of hot desking option and work out from it that way. And they targeted generally the creative markets but it was a members club as well so they were very very heavy into programming and events um programming really would be terming in that as events but events that actually um feed the curiosity and help you know fuel your passion in, in the businesses that you're actually currently working one of the women i worked with at Neuer house who was the chief people officer in about 2018 so i'd left them because it was a redundancy with those guys but i was staying in the industry because i just fell in love with this whole kind of members club feel full-on hospitality but in a working environment it was just for me the future and there was a massive gray area that no one was really touching no one was really taking that office sector and really commercializing it and branding it and putting all the hospitality elements there to really make that a business of its own and then just have companies working from there so um i then moved out to india and developed another club out in india for another guy um um a guy called alkesh tandon and his father-in-law was a guy called rana kapoor rana kapoor was the founder and ceo of a bank in india called yes bank they loved neuhaus they wanted to do something actually globally to start with but they had their first location they were developing in mumbai they said would i go there for three or so months just to help them finish this one off and I just repeated, how long did you say for? And they said, three months. I was there for 18, 18 <laughs> months. I'm not good in heat. So I blacked <laughs> out from dehydration, I think five times in total. I had the opportunity to come back home with Ennismore because uh, the chief people officer at Neuhaus back in 2015 was moving to London with her husband who um, became the COO of Ennismore. And they, as part of the um, continued expansion of the hotels, were moving into co-working. They wanted to do some co-working within the hotels and develop that that concept. So Lauren um, told her husband, Kevin, you need to bring Ian on board. And I thought, get back home to London, just go, just go, just go and do this. So I came back and joined them. 
in 2018 as director of co-working uh, and developed the brand for them working from the Hoxton. And yeah, you're right. It was heavily design led. It, the name working from was not, we didn't even have a name actually at the time when I joined the company, it could have been Hoxworks. It was a bit boring um, as they felt. It could have been Sessions House, Sessions House, because that was our head office in Farringdon and Sessions kind of worked, you know, work sessions and things yeah. like that. Kind of, that kind of was kind of nice. It had a little bit of history or grounding to the company there. But working from chosen by the brand team kind of stuck because it meant you could work in from the Hoxton, working from home, working from your kitchen, working from a cafe. It really kind of sat, it sat anywhere. And then the distinction that came with that, it was like working from home without the distractions. So as soon as the element of working from home came into play of working from, that helped the interior design team lead the design push on how it was going to be fitted out and the look and feel um, with, a, with a main kind of baseline link to Mad Men style, the, the show Mad Men. They wanted yeah. that 1950s kind of feel to it to make it a bit more homely. Um, and that led the interior team to push the design element. Um, that's where the whole thing come from. And so from, from, from day one, my role with them was to create the concept, make it as Hoxton as it possibly could be, um, develop it with a lot of hospitality linking into that and then roll it out. And we opened in Chicago, um, November 2019 and um, Southwark in London, February 2020. And that was six weeks before we all shut down for... Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's important to say, actually, yeah, although you're working on a brand called Working From, talking about working from home in different locations, this was before a lot of people were really, that was ingrained in what they were doing, before COVID came along, you know, as you say, only yeah, just. <laughs> it was. The name, the name. Well, really, perfect timing. <laughs> perfect timing for that. The name, and, and perfect timing, in actual fact, you didn't, we didn't even know at the time, but, um, but any more during a part of covid merged with what well, they didn't merge with but they were they they kind of joined forces with accor yeah and um all of the accor which is the hotel brand all of their boutique um hotels went under the Ennismore brand because hoxton is all about boutique hotel you know it's the glen eagles it's all these kind of things but it's very boutique uh, it's very lifestyle and so all of those kind of lifestyle boutique brands of accor went in under Ennismore. And now the latest announcement is that I've just read uh, last week, funnily enough, was um, that there's going to be a new Mama Shelter, um, which is another one of the Ennismore's brands from Accor, opening up in Liverpool. And they're going to put a co-working space in there. I presume it will probably be working from Mama Shelter because I what, couldn't imagine they're going to change any anything from that kind of co-working brand that they have and put something else in there now. So obviously the working from can now extend not just to the Hockton, it can go to any of their hotel chains yep. that they've got and they can just drop it in and localize it and style up and stylize it to whatever other brand they're going to go with. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this conversation could be really long because I got loads of questions about NS more and how they work. Right. But I'm trying to steer clear of that, but, but my experience with Hoxton is down at um, Holborn in London. I've been there quite a few times and that site there, that as soon as you go in on the ground floor, it's a hotel lobby, a hotel reception, a bar, a restaurant, a coffee shop. It's all sorts of things. But one thing that's always consistent there is the amount of people in there with laptops working away. So how have you or how did you manage to create that separation because there was obviously in some locations people already doing that without paying a membership fee so what what things did you put in place to actually make that transition to suggest to people look actually if you come with us on this journey pay a little bit more money there's so much more to this firstly you picked the perfect hoxton hotel to put your example on the holborn one <laughs> honestly it's, it is um yeah that's lobby culture that's yeah. what lobby culture is. So um, first thing on that, so lobby culture, best way to describe that would be a dynamic, multifunctional space with community at its core. So um, let me let me go into that little statement first, then I'll go into your piece yeah. about how we combine the whole thing. So dynamic, 
is basically activity led. So you can go, you go into that hotel, the, the Holborn one, and you'll see a load of people working from their laptops. That's cool. That's fine. That's not a worry. We termed them as the freeloaders. Yeah. All right. That was how we, we uh, affectionately termed them yes. the, at head office level. I don't think we ever told them that, but that's what they were known. Now, so that is the dynamic part. So what you're really doing in there is you're, you're not opening a hotel for the hotel's sake. You're opening a hotel for the community's sake. So you've got the four walls of your hotel, but you've got a whole circumference around there of the locality and the community that live and work and play in that area. So the whole idea of, of the Hoxton Hotel lobbies is to activate the local community to come into the space. So by opening it up and saying, yeah, you know what, you can come in with your laptops and work from here. That's cool. That's fine. But if you do that, you know, if you're going to buy a coffee, don't bring one in from outside from a Starbucks or a Pret or yeah. a Costa. Don't do that. You know, at least buy it from us. So the Hoxton will be very, very good. And very, they're, they're very good at as soon as you walk in, sit down and get a laptop out, you'll find that a drinks menu will go on your table pretty quickly and you'll be buying a coffee or a tea or something pretty fast as well. And the chances are you'll do that during the course of the time that you'll stay there because you feel as if I've got to put some you know some money on the table to sit yep. here and work my laptop so that's how that piece kind of works um then you've got so you've got the dynamic multifunctional space multifunctional as you said you've got restaurants and bars and all these kind of things in there so the multifunctional aspect comes comes from how you can change that from a workplace during the day or a coffee shop during the day or a lunchtime venue and then transcend that nice and smoothly into a into a kind of cool hip bar cocktail lounge feel in the evening and nighttime that's multifunctional community at its core would be the local community around how you're going to bring them in drive anything that is really important to the community uh, you know social enterprise all these kind of things so when it came to actually building the working from brand away from the free kind of lobby that we had going on with hoxton it really was um a statement that came out something along the lines of um we've been doing we've been unofficially doing co-working since 2006 so now we decide, decided to make it official. Yep. Now, everyone that went in to use a Hox, Hoxton lobby, the clever piece here is when you open up your laptop and you're going to connect to the Wi-Fi, a splash page would come up on your screen and you could use the Hoxton's free Wi-Fi. So when that splash page comes up onto your laptop, it also then triggers whether or not you want to join the, um, the newsletter and you know, the, the, the database. A lot of people would say yes. So there's this database, or there was this data database of Hox friends, as they were termed, or still are termed. But back then, there was 50,000 of them globally. So we had a ready-made market of people that we knew were using their laptops or their digital devices within a Hoxton lobby that, potential, that loved the Hoxton feel. Why did they come there otherwise? It, it, it was for the vibe. It was for the look and feel, the design. They wanted to be in a cool place. So we knew that they were our kind of target audience. So then we could push them and convert them eventually into people that would use the workspace. The difference between the two, well, you've got all the ergonomic design of the chairs and the tables. You've got, you've got all the PowerPoints everywhere in the workspace. You've got free printing. You've got pantries that are stocked with teas, coffees, snacks, biscuits, chocolate, all for free, whatever you want meeting rooms you don't pay for that's all free and included in your membership you've got four different types of membership that you can have at hoxton the fact that i don't work with them anymore i'm doing a really good promotion <laughs> I, I don't mind talking about it because I, I love the brand and they know that so uh, you've got like private the private the private studios which is an office you've got open studios which is the dedicated desk option yep you've got the desktop membership which is the hot desk option you've got the side hustler membership which is a side hustle membership is basically from 5 p.m onwards monday to friday and all day weekends we picked on that membership purely because we used to we did forums before we actually developed the brand with some of these hox friends that we had we invited them down to our head office in farringdon gave them 50 pounds each because they're our freeloaders and uh free pizza who's not going to turn who's going to say no to free pizza and 50 quid and some beers and we just asked them some probing questions about, you know, what would make the perfect workspace for you? They didn't know we were doing one at the time. No one did. 
And quite a few said, you know what, if you had a, a membership where I could come in the evenings, because I've got my own side hustle that I do on the side that my company don't know about, I'd definitely join if it was at the right price. So we threw in the side hustle membership as well for that piece. And that is how you got the difference. Of course, you've got secure Wi-Fi, you've got free printing, you've got free tea, coffee, you've got free meeting rooms, you've got beautiful, beautifully designed space. Or you can just go into the free lounge down in the, in the hotel lobby and use that at the risk that that Wi-Fi is not secure. Yeah, that's the difference, and that's how it's sold. Now, obviously, in London, building quickly because we we're in new, newer in the Chicago market or the American market. It took a little bit more time to ramp up, but it did. Both those units are now 100% full with waiting lists. I suppose London, that's not too much of a shock, and now they've just opened up in Brussels and they're going to expand it from there so it was a natural progression long story short to take that hoxton lobby feel from the hotel and push that into co-working a lot of hotel brands doing the same kind of thing now where they're trying to think you know maybe we can add on to this another key metric for the hoxton would be that they typically didn't want any hotels with more than 200 keys or 200 bedrooms so some of the buildings that they'd be looking at would be way too big for that and so they would lose a lot of key elements so if they could save all right 50 percent of that space we're going to be using it as hotel 20 percent of that space we're going to be doing our retail or our restaurants and 30 40 percent of that space we're going to we can use for co-working with the working from brand it just opens up a much bigger market for them as well with the kind of buildings that they can go for did they have um a cross-site membership or did the membership pertain specifically to the site particularly to the site they they hadn't got you well we had um one interesting thing we had we had um because of the hotel rooms we had uh deadline day deals um which was such things as you know if you were working really late at night and you thought it was too late to get home if there was any hotel rooms still empty in that hotel that you were staying at and we were thinking about trying to get that to some of the other hotels in the local area as well or in london you could get it for the cost of cleaning it, which would be £25. So we had these kind of perks going on for members, but we didn't have any membership that was uh, reciprocal to the other locations because you had Chicago and you had London at the time, yep. only the two. Um, I would imagine, though, now with the possibility of developing that, and it certainly would be something I'd consider if I was still with them, that if it was to expand to all of the other brands, then yes, you could have um, a global membership that you could utilize in the other spaces and the way that hoxton works anyway or the any small works is they have this no rip off fee or no you know no hidden charges so the chances are that is something that they'd probably be all over trying looking to develop now as they've just launched they've just launched something called disloyalty membership program which basically wants you to, you to actually be disloyal to the actual any small brand that you love like the hoxton and use a mama shelter or a 25-hour hotels and get deals that way so i would imagine they're going to do something similar along the same kind of lines yeah I, I, I mean i've admired ennis more firstly because of their design element they're just such cool spaces but also their growth um and how joined up each experience is right on each each site but what has been intriguing to me is that they haven't until recently anyway made it so that a member or a loyal customer gets any kind of, um, let's say, a loyalty bonus, a loyalty something for staying in across brands. They've just launched it with this loyalty. Yeah, exactly. Because it was, that, and, and you know, and I'd speak to colleagues about it, and I was, well, maybe the technology is not quite there because we find it difficult to find tech that, that crosses, you know, across our different sites, let alone across different brands. But it's one of those pieces that you think, crikey, you know, they've got such loyal customers um putting in place something that allows you to benefit from some extras i guess across different sites and different brands makes a lot of sense but like you say looks like they're they're now they've now launched that mm. yeah they just pushed that out there so i think that that's something that they would definitely be pushing very very hard now um yeah and it's launched it's funny you should mention that literally last week i think it must have been it came out yeah okay right so um you're out of that business. They're carrying on. Um, with your experience, the previous two brands as well, which were also design-led and experience-led, 
try not to be too biased, but what do you think is the bare minimum for co-working spaces now? Because even since COVID, things have changed dramatically. You know, if somebody's looking at doing a co-working brand, what do you think they really just as a minimum should be looking at now? I think, um, yeah, it is, it is hard to, to answer that without being biased. Um, yeah. you know, whenever I do something, I, I always want it to be the best that it possibly can be. I, if I'm going to um, team up with someone or a company, I want to know that these guys are going to be really serious about what they're trying to put out there and uh, develop the best version that they possibly can put out there. Um, so for me now, I think if you're looking, if you're going to try and bring someone into a venue now, in the in the in the world of remote work that we've got you need to make it into a destination experience it has to be worth the commute yep you're not going to travel now i don't think any distance if the venue you're going into actually depresses you and there are plenty of options plenty of examples of that out there i would imagine where you feel you just want to go to the rooftop and jump off at 5 p.m <laughs> put it on a facebook group that anyone wants to join you feel please feel free or anyone wants to cheer you on um you do get that kind of look, you know, you do get the, the, that style in, in spaces. So I design for me is extremely important and it makes it easier, right? If someone's going to say, yeah, you know, it's no worries. We've got all this money. There it is. Any, if someone puts the money in your hand, it's easy. That's the hardest part is getting that money in your hand and being able to go and develop that. Sure. Um, you know, you're looking at about 225 pound per square foot for working from you know on the design element of it so it's a lot of money and a lot of people won't spend that kind of thing but i think yeah. if you're going to drive people to it and you want people to go it's a lot easier if it looks looks the part sure and, and that's one element of it so you've got the design element of it the interior the look and feel but then you can take it even further you if you haven't got that there are other things you can do you can go on to the the, the non-tangible so when I'm thinking, when I talk about non-tangible, it's the things you can't see within the space. So one is the hospitality element. How good are your team? How good are your team at engaging with all of your members? And what do you do for the community around that piece to really engage the members? Because the first three months of their membership is going to be the most crucial time. That's when they're going to either decide to stay or leave. Similar to it would be if you join a gym for the very, very first time. You've got music. And you've got scent as well. So you've got other elements that you can play into the game. Music, you've got white noise, brown noise, pink noise. White noise is that noise that really, really uh, distracts you. Pink noise being high and low frequency sound waves. So if you chose music, high and low frequency, it puts you in a state of concentration. For some reason, you feel whenever you're in that space, you can do your best work. So you can curate the music to help. Scent. There's certain scents that make you feel more successful or more confident. You can look for those kind of scents and have them pumped in through the system. So you've got the non-tangible element of it as well as the tangible, the design-led thing. But if you've got a beautifully designed space and people have seen it for the first time, it's a lot easier to sell it. If you've added that there with the service level, the right kind of music, the right ambience, it's become really easy to sell it. Yeah. And then the price point is good. Well... Yeah. Uh, okay. That's some really interesting tips there. Um, you're right. There is that thing about, you know, if you've got a nice large budget, you it's know, easy. the world's your oyster, right? And, and a lot of our audience are looking at doing this through their own funding or with some partners, but basically they're, they're starting this journey. And the, some people will have some commercial property already, but others are looking at their first one and thinking, right, I, I want to step into this world. I can see the arbitrage there between just the normal rent and actually doing a full serviced offering and just trying to make sure that they can get as much design in as possible while still keeping the bank working. And I guess you can, you can push up to these different things as you go through different projects. But one of the key things you spoke about there, apart from smell and <laughs> some great things there about music, is the people. Mm. So one of the things we've really started concentrating on when we're doing recruitment now is making sure there's some kind of hospitality background you know dealt with people being drunk dealt with people having high expectations dealt with people that um are sometimes rude um dealt with people who love service all those different things so where did the people come from that then worked in the new locations were they already in the business some part of the business under a different brand or were they recruited separately and were they absolutely integral 
to the location or partially separate? All right. So, uh, yeah, the first thing on that is, yeah, recruitment is crucially important, but it goes way before just the recruitment part. It goes to your branding element for me as well, but your branding also around how you build the culture internally with your own company, your own systems, how you operate as a company. So for any small, for example, they would always attract the right kind of people for them naturally because you, you felt pulled to the way that they, they, they work from a hospitality point of view. So I would have people that would join me there or want to work with me there at any small purely because they just had to work for any small. That was just what they wanted to do. Yep. And they're advocates for that. And they're advocates for that because of the way uh, any small operate culturally. Very, very good at looking after their people. It's the first most crucially important thing here is how well you look after your people. Because in hospitality, and a lot of people wouldn't get this, but hospitality is a brutal business. It's brutal hours. You're dealing with a-holes much of the time that you'd probably think so. I don't think you might, you might, you might cut that bit out, but you are. And you have to stay calm and you have to stay collected. And a lot of times you're doing this to like 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, so hospitality is hard. And on top of that, it's 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 transient trade as well in hospitality. You turn if you're in a restaurant, you're turning tables all of the time. And you need to turn those tables maybe five times a day to get the revenue in that you need. So you're continuously turning tables, serving again, serving again. And you want to make sure that every single time you've got someone in the building this experience in your operation it has to be perfect all of the time so it's hard it's a hard game so you have to get the team right normally what i tend to look for and i tend to pull people from different sorts of industries a gm for me is someone that's worked in a high-end restaurant or a quick service restaurant something where it's dynamic and it's fast yeah. and have to be they have to be on the game all of the time and they see detail in everything you know they could walk into a into a restaurant and know what's wrong instantly just by reading the floor by they, yeah. they see it they've got to be able to do that um she wants someone ideally i think from a, a restaurant background depending on the size square footage of the building that you've got um membership i always find that with membership sales i've always found someone from the health club industry the best the reason why i say that is because membership sales in the health club market it's brutal um you know you're chasing targets all of the time you're selling monthly memberships and you have to know the art of the tour, the art of the clothes, when to mirror and mimic the customer you're showing around, when to go quiet, when to ask for the sale, and when to do trial closing on them. This is all the art of the tour and the clothes. And you're trying to close out on them during the tour. You're trying to get them to say yes before you're even offering the, the product. Yeah. They know how to do that because they're trained religiously in how to do it. Uh, again, my original background was health clubs and health club sales. So I know that kind of model. And I took that into selling on social members clubs as well. And it works and it works in this industry as well, specifically if you're on the membership side of things. So, yeah, I'm, I always tend to look for someone from like the restaurant industry, that kind of thing for the uh, the commercial side of things and the actual overall operation. So a general manager um, sales, I tend to look at the health club market or something around there, maybe with some commercial sales to them as well. Um, my head of membership at working from in Southwark was was ex Foxtons, but also ex David Lloyd. Oh, perfect combination! Yeah, <laughs> you know it's a hundred percent full in way before ever, way way before it was meant to be full. So and during COVID, so you know there you go. It kind of proved the point. Um, so yeah, that's why I tend to look for staff wise hospitality background. I think it is crucially important because there's an awful lot of skill set there, and they know how to engage yeah that's another point your engagement side of things how do you engage the community you've got to really engage the community if the design isn't uh, you know as, as as beautiful as you want it to be the main thing is that you have to get these people engaged with you that are members and crucially work really really hard in those first three months so they feel embedded into everything that you're doing and they're committed to you you want to get an emotional connection with your client base so they become fans as soon as you get that emotional connection, it's like you support your favorite football team or rugby team, whatever it is. You'll hate them sometimes, but you'll never stop supporting them. So you have to get that emotional connection as quickly as you can with them. You do that through the engagement side of things, engage with them all of the time. One other thing I would always do is to try and I'd have a host team as well. So my, my teams in my place tend to be quite big. 
way bigger than what you'd normally get in most co-working spaces but it's because i really push the hospitality angle so my host team is like a reception team but i'd have them working on all the floors one of the training elements that we'll do is we could walk into a floor and just for fun try and get them to name as many members in that space as they can their name who they work for what their companies and what they do and maybe a little bit about their family because if they can know these little basic things then they might know Jerry, you know, Jerry's got this great company, but he's struggling with this particular expertise. I know Claire on the floor below is exactly the person he needs to speak to. So I'm going to introduce the two. So naturally you're networking these people together. You're bonding the community. So that's crucially important. If you can't put the design in there, community, you've got to, you've got to hit the community angle. Excellent. Okay. Just to get a bit of context, Southwark, what, how many members would there be in that location? There would be, they had 758 desks in total. Um, there'd be around about 1,200 in there now. Yeah. Okay. And how many of those are non-office members? There would be around about 350. Yeah. Okay. Just to give it context, because yeah, that's a big team, and interestingly, they've got different skill sets, right? There's yeah. there's salespeople doing sales, there's people doing hospitality, making everybody feel welcome. There's the overall general manager who's really being pernickety about everything to make sure the details right, and there are diff those are completely different skill sets, right? Yeah. Have you ever managed to find somebody who can cross over those? You tend to find that, and you always want people that are going to cross over because I think if you if you if you if you employ a team that are naturally curious, which is what I'd always want, and that's another thing in actual fact, flat hierarchy. So a little bit on, on that, because I think flat hierarchy within the company is really important because that way you want your team to engage at every level and you want to listen to every team member that you've got there. So you tend to find the stars within a flat hierarchy because they'll always give ideas and things like that. So you tend to find then crossover becomes quite easy. So, and, and that's really important in hospitality as well. You always want, you always train teams on crossover because that way you can, if you need to run a lean team and you're always going to get those times when a lot of team members maybe can't get in because of illnesses or whatever. So you want to be able to keep that operation seamless without anyone seeing it. It was always a, a, a um, analogy would always be, it's like a swan, you know, above the water, that swan is gracefully going across the the, yep. the lake, but underwater, the, you know, the, 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 <laughs> yeah, going like crazy, but and back of house, it's, it can be like that. It can be crazy back of house, absolute disaster. But as soon as you open the doors, it's like um, Basel 40. Everything's, uh, everything's rosy, you know. So, yeah, um, cross-training is crucially important um, on every element of that. And everyone knows everything about someone else's job so they can do it if they need to. Okay, right. So that's some great stuff there about people, which I'm really interested personally. So that was great. Thank you. Just the, one of the last questions I want to ask you about is brand. And you mentioned earlier on about how the brand came together, or at least the brand name came together. What are the other sort of key elements of branding that people need to be aware of when they're trying to set up that expectation for customers? I think, yeah, the first thing on that is um, try, um, try and lead everything through your brand. So if you can think, well, all right, what, what is the message we're really trying to put out there? What, what are we trying to do? You know, what, what is, um, What's our why, you know, let's start with why, you know, Simon Sinek, that kind of thing. Um, figure out what you're really trying to achieve and do and what is the message you want to put out there. And the brand of the people that really lead that. Any small, for example, we had about 50 people in the head, head office brand team and the brand team led everything. Everything that we did was led by the brand team. They'd put issues in front of us and say, listen, we want to do this. And as an operator, you'll say, well, that's just crazy. There's no way we can make that work. You know, and you'd get quite frustrated because you're thinking we're never going to make any money out of this. You know, free meeting rooms, who does that? So, but you think, well, all right, this is part of the brand journey. We've got to try and find a way to make it work. So try and lead everything from your brand and try and stick to it. And that's all your messaging. I mean, um, that's everything you put out there on the marketplace. So don't just try and sell all of the time, but just really build on the story of your members, what you're trying to achieve and what you do and what you do for the local community as well what you give back all of the time really build that brand story and feed everything else into it so feed your operations into the brand feed your people team and your recruitment into the brand and lead everything through that element and and, and push that angle 
and that is then when I find a brand becomes truly loved. So, so the Hoxton in London would be truly loved. Everyone that you know, loads. Of, I don't know anyone that would say a bad word about the Hoxton as a brand because of everything that it does yep. on the sideline. You know, um, shelter from the storm. You know, home. You know, helping the homeless. All these kind of things that they do all of the time. Every time that they open a new venue, they'll do something for the local community as well. Um, they'll they'll they put back into the local community. So I think that's a big thing to do if you're going to do a brand. Firstly, think right. What can we give back? And be genuine about it. Work on it. You know, you haven't got to put loads of money into that piece, but just a little bit of time and effort, that will start to pay off because people will start looking on you as being these guys are nice. They're good people. We want to be around them. We want to be surrounded by them, and then that starts to feed everything else that you do and go on that journey. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. It does. Um, there's a part of me that wants to find out what is the it's almost trying to find a number how much value does the brand bring and i don't necessarily mean at the point of um having big scale and now potentially selling businesses and all that sort of value but in terms of when you're starting out sometimes just getting the leak fixed on the roof is more important than necessarily getting the branding perfect and and i and I'm not even asking you the question here, really, because you can't quantify it. But it's just it's that piece of right. I'm I'm starting out here. I'm getting this location done. I'm branding it around the location because the building's really quirky and and you know the Hoxton are quite good at that too. So here's here's Southwark or here's um, Holborn or whatever it is. So I'm going to brand around the building. Um, but all that other stuff, crikey, do I have to do all that right now? I mean, what's your thoughts on you know when somebody's starting out? How much do they really need to concentrate on that? And I'm not saying it's not valuable. Of course, it's valuable, and you're putting it across extremely well. It's when somebody's starting out. It's how do we um, quantify how much time, effort, and everything else to put into that when you're, you know, at the, at the starting gate. I think it's like you know, um, if you don't do that, it's kind of like not seeing the wood for the trees. Mm -hmm. I think you start to get stuck into all the little. Um, fires that you're trying to put out all of the time and just concentrating all on that just to keep the doors um open or solve a little problem for that particular day which of course you have to do it's crucially important and it all comes down to your financing and your budgets and how well you're selling if you haven't got the brand story right anyway and that's not leading your marketing push and it's not helping the sales team sell the space and if you haven't got the members in there anyway then you can't fix the leaking roof or yep. this or that right so you have to get the brand story right early on and probably the best way probably it wouldn't be to employ someone full time instead probably to try and find the right kind of agency that you feel um shares your values or you have some kind of yeah you have some kind of soulful link with them these are the, the right kind of people i like to team up with and i'll ask them what they can do to help you know push the brand out there and it can be simple things as well you know everyone's got everyone's got their mobile phone everyone's got, everyone's on instagram you know everyone's on TikTok. everyone's on these kind of things there's plenty of agencies out there that will work um with the budget that you've got for it and help you grow it that way there's lots out there that deal with all kind of hybrid hospitality and all these kind of things they'll put together a budget that you can handle and they'll work towards that budget to push that message out there for you if you don't do that early stages i would say that your offering will become a bit confused yeah and people won't really know what you're doing that well and if your message isn't really clear and concise and the brand isn't that strong people probably won't find your front door so i think your brand has to be strong and you can have you you talked about you know um cross training or cross job purposes these kind of things you could employ a general manager that's very good on social media you know you could you could hire an events manager that's good on social media as well that can curate the two things together. I would always always have a membership uh, engagement manager as part of my team as well. I know because the guys have put the money in there to do it. So it's fine, you know, it's just <laughs> luck, lucky Ian. Um, but I'd always say well, if I'm going to guys, right, this is how I'm going to work. This is what I need to do. It's going to cost this kind of money. I want a GM. I want a membership engagement manager. I want a sales manager. They're my three crucial people. The membership engagement manager deals with everything once the person's joined. 
So the sales manager is dealing with everything to get them to the front door and in the front door and sell. Not necessarily the marketing point, but like hitting with the brand as well. The membership engagement manager then takes them on the first few months journey and beds them in, gets them comfortable, makes sure everything's good. The membership engagement manager at the same time could be doing things like water cooler chats. Yep. You know, you know, we did that again. At, and, and that literally was just literally them with their phone videoing each other or something like that. I don't know how they do because it's not my, not my part of the game, but they'd find a way where they could video the question and the member answers. It's just five simple questions with a bit of funky music in the background, a little bit of humour. Someone's a little bit clever with editing to make it look a little bit amusing and push that out every month on new members. There's a lot of little simple things that you can do that's going to help that journey on brand that you can actually do yourself just with your own phone. Um, you can put on programming events. You can have little discussions and talks, um, you know, and, and those kind of things in the space. You can video it. You can live stream it. You know, you could do all these kind of things. You could just build the, the the library of data for things that you've done, have that curated and just push it out on, on your social media channels. You know, you've got your TikTok, you've got your Instagram, you've got your Facebook. Maybe that's not so good. You've got your LinkedIn, Twitter or X or whatever we're going to call it now. You've got all these things that you can push out, push out on. But as long as you push out the things that they're engaging with the community, you'll start to get that stuff and you can do that for literally no cost because you can do it yourself. You could give all of that information, all of that data that you've built up on your library to your small brand team that you've got as an agency outside and say, listen, this is what we've done this month or this week. Can you make something out of it yeah. and get them to put together as a brand thing and push it out there? So long story short, I think it's really important you get the brand right because that's what's going to drive it moving. That's what's going to take you on the long, long journey. Yeah, fixing the little problems in the building that's like day-to-day -day stuff you know you've really got to strategize and think three years down the road where you're going to be and you've got to start that journey all the way through and that's what really makes it crucially important it's really important to do that that's super valuable thank you Ian. um last thing i want to talk about um you you shared there about three different roles that people are doing in the business or three different skill sets and I know that some of the other main brands in the industry, Regis, WeWork, um, sometimes struggle with different ways of approaching that. So one month it's this flavor, the next month it's a slightly different approach. And WeWork specifically, their, their rise was stellar. And obviously their challenge slash possible complete fall <laughs> time will tell because of the finance situation there has been equally spectacular um apart from perhaps some of the obvious stuff like growing too fast etc do you think there was some cultural stuff that they didn't quite get right there or do you think there were some other elements that um meant that that business has struggled i i, I obviously never um you know worked with we were sure. i think i think if it wasn't for we work um i'm not sure if the co-working model would really be there in the first place. So I, I, I think there's there's a lot of good that they tried to do do there. But I also, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you could look at some of the things they put out there and, and, and feel that it, it could almost be cult-like with some of the uh, way that they they, they would um, put the messaging out with, you know, Adam when Adam was, was around the company. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, you know, everyone that I speak to that's worked for WeWork loved the brand. I don't think I've come across anyone that I know that has worked for WeWork that didn't like the brand. So they must yep. be doing something right there. Um, and they were super proud of the work that they did, all these people that worked for WeWork. Sure. So that must have meant that there was a flat hierarchy there because it must have meant that a lot of these people had the right to choose what they wanted to do. I personally think with WeWork, they grew way too fast and they just took on too many crazy deals. The one that they've just lost, um, I, I don't know, I can't remember the name of the building, but the, the, the one where they had Facebook signed up for three years or so, um, I think some 140,000 square foot, what was the building? Um, they signed up WeWork on, what was it? It's like a, a three-year deal, but they had something like a 20-year lease on the building, but they knew WeWork were going to pull out after three years. And so if you're going to have the full building, the 440,000 square foot signed over to Facebook, when that one deal goes south, the whole building goes south. But they would have known that. 
So they would have known that that building was going to go down in three years. And what was their plan to get so that it wasn't go, going to go um, down there? Well, I think it was, yeah, um, 125 Shaftesbury Avenue. That was the one. Um, so I think they did a lot of bad deals that just didn't work. Um, and I think that's what went wrong in that sense. Okay. So if you were to differentiate the two, because there's been many that have developed as well, other ones as well as um, working from, but if you look at the two, the, the model in the background is slightly different, right? So so the WeWork model, obviously they're doing rent to rent. And I know that Ennismore do buy some, but obviously they also have leases in place. But there's, there's more, it's almost more of a, the full picture, the full offer. At least yeah. that's my experience so far. Would you concur with that? Yeah, so um, with um, working from, and another thing that, that I'm kind of really uh, particular on is not to not to sign any long-term agreements with anyone that wants to take space. Because I have to be confident in the uh, product that we're delivering. So if the, if the design is correct, if the offering is correct, if the price point is correct, it doesn't matter if I've got them on a rolling month-by-month contract or a five-year lease, Technically, chances are they're going to stay because why would you leave unless you're unless you're, you've outgrown the space or, um, or or you've gone broke. The only two reasons why you're going to technically leave the space, but I would always give the flexibility into it. So I think with we work, they would sign longer term leases with people, big 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 companies, enterprise firms, um, on long term deals. Um, for me, it working from its smaller companies so it's uh it's more startup stuff but people that need a six-person office or a 12-person yeah. office or a 24-person office or co-working because you or a blend and mixture of all three so they could take an office space for six or 12 people that's like just that's that actual office they've got they might take some dedicated desks as well maybe five dedicated desks which are their desks so no one else can use them and a batch of um hot desk memberships yeah. as well and they can upgrade, downgrade whenever they want to at any moment in time. It's totally up to them how they do that. Whilst that sounds to a lot of people risky because you've got no long term, you can't say that we can forecast the fact that in a year's time we can have this much revenue because they could all just go because you've not put anyone on a long term contract. The flexibility means they tend to stay because they can upgrade, downgrade whenever they want. So you don't really lose it. So I think I think having um, a flexible model is a much better way to operate. It's not rigid. You can chop and change it as the um, climate dictates you to and the economy. And by then pushing in there that you've really led it through an emotional connection through the brand, the people tend to really want to stay. They try and do everything they can to stay there as well because they're settled and they're fine and they're happy. You know, and as soon as you start to upset people because you've tied them into a lease and they can't use their building anymore because of some pandemic shut them down and you're not paying your lease, but you're still charging them. You yeah. know, it's not too good, is it? Yeah. And there are the nuances there, though, too, aren't there? Because it depends on how you finance the building yeah. and, the, and the fit out and right. as to whether you need some of that longevity so that That's your true. finance backers, you know, but it, it, but I totally get where you're coming from that flexibility means yeah if your product's staying true then they should stay there'd be no reason for them to leave and also the flexibility does actually come at a price so there is a higher margin for for the operator should but obviously they they need to deliver they need to deliver and also i think look at, at we, we said earlier about um you get you get a lot of people that take that class a building you know and i think you're going to get a lot that and start looking at the class b class c kind of level buildings um, and just doing some work on that because the, the price you're going to pay per square foot is going to be way lower. I think a big problem as well is, is particularly if you look at the London market, you know, you're looking at at least minimum minimum of like £70 per square foot up to £150 per square foot that you're going to have to, as a co-working company, pay on the lease to take that space. So your profit margin is becoming really, really restricted. You don't have the room for anything to go wrong for you. So I think you've got to be looking at all your fixed costs as well, making sure that you've got them as tight as you possibly can. Yeah. You Maybe you've got a blend, yeah, management agreements, some lease. And if you get to the point we can have some freehold, then great. But I think you need to have a, a blend of the three. If you're stuck all on lease all the time, 
then then yeah that could be a bit of a problem and i think now a lot of the landlords are thinking all we can do about buildings management agreements got to be the way to go we can we can share this across and feel the pain all together or whatever or make make it work and that's why i think good for everyone like us in the game where yeah we'll take a management agreement because it means you know it's a lot easier for us to open up venues and they can give the capex and help you that way that's right get the scale quicker okay um ian we've mentioned there that you moved on from there do you want to just quickly give us an update as to where you are now yeah i'm consulting now so I, i tend to consult um I've got about three or four different clients. I'm working on some kind of really cool projects right now. From 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 co-working, members clubs, um, food halls, competitive socializing, it's everything to do with hospitality, but really still heavy co-working is my main main thing. So I consult. Um and that's what I'm doing for the for for, for the foreseeable. It's going well, it's strange because I've never consulted before. It's the first time I've ever done it. Um, but I kind of just fell into it. Um yep. And I've luckily got a good network of people that, that that I tend to do some work with. And they, these guys then introduce me to other people. And there's a lot of that stuff that I do, which is just free. You end up talking to a lot of people for free. You're thinking, how much advice have I just given on this? Like, and, and how many hours have I just given them for free? And and I've got to, I've got to tie that down a little bit because I'm, like, I'm too yeah. much doing that sort of stuff. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to tell you how many people you've just given some great advice to. So. <laughs> no it's all right it's all good it's all good it's been it has been super valuable it's been really interesting to have this conversation um is there a brand what is your brand my my actual i've been thinking i've been thinking about that just recently because i've just been going along just with my my name to start with i'm thinking i should start that so i'm i've been thinking like something like you know project freedom or project love or something like this i'm not too sure i'm just playing around (laughs) with what i might call it you know if the if the consultancy carries on something that's a little bit like you know uh, I, I love the feel. I love the, the feeling of the freedom that this gives me to do this kind of stuff. So it could yep. be Project Freedom because that's just a personal thing. Maybe that's what I'll call it. But now that I've put that name out there, someone's going to trademark it and ruin it for me. But uh, there you go. That's life. When I, when I, when I first started <laughs> out, my property stuff was residential, and I didn't really. I thought, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what the brand is, right? When I was just starting out renting, you know, doing up houses and renting them out. And then um, I thought, so what am I going to call it? I'll call it freedom something. I thought, yeah, I'll call it liberty. Yeah, that'll do. Liberty properties. So that's how we started out. And then after a while, I thought, cranky, actually, no, no, people are starting to ask a bit more. I need to think about this. So eventually we changed it into liberty space, but for the same reason that you've just come across with. It's like, yeah, this is about freedom for me. <laughs> that's what's crazy about it. He's talking to a guy, you're asking him all about brand, and he's, he's giving all these things about brand. And what do you call your name? I just call it Ian Minor. I don't <laughs> The whole hour I've just talked was complete waste of time thinking this guy's a charlatan. He's, oh, he's not bought into this at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no it's been really, really good. Right. So, Ian, when we do catch up again, um you can tell us what your brand is then right I'm people, do them. yeah hmm. best best place find you linkedin Where, LinkedIn. Where's linkedin honestly linkedin I'm, I'm active on that so if people message me on linkedin i do respond very quickly i'm always quick on responding on on linkedin or yeah just just look up ian minor on linkedin and they'll find me there i'll put it in the show notes so people can find you so thank you so much it's been brilliant jerry it's been an absolute pleasure